just so proud of America. I'm Tommy Salmons. This is Year Zero. On today's episode of the podcast, I invite back Mr. Matthew Ho. For those of you who don't know, Matthew was a is a is a veteran of the Afghanistan war and he is an anti-war activist. He's also getting a master's in divinity in which he came up with presentations that related to his experiences from his time in war and the PTSD he had suffered also called moral injury that he had suffered in war or from war is the effects of war, I guess would be a better way of saying it. And I listened to a few of these that he had released as podcast episodes and I was kind of taken aback. And since he's a friend of mine, I was like, dude, come on and talk about this stuff. I, I think it's really interesting what you have to say. So he came on and we had a really good conversation not as long as the two and a half hour one that we had previously on the podcast, but a very good conversation nonetheless. That lest, lest. I don't know why I added a T to that, but I think you get where I'm going with this. Before I get into the podcast, I want to remind you that for all of your graphic design needs, get a hold of that commie bastard Ryan Bunting at ryanbunting.com. He is capitalizing on his communist ideology by creating excellent graphic designs for anybody who's in the market for him. So remember, that commie fuck, Ryan Bunting, at ryanbunting.com. As always, thank you, Tom Burton, for the music. Enjoy the podcast. Okay, I am here with uh, one of my favorite people in the world, Mr. Matthew Ho. How are you doing, man? Good, Tommy. You're too kind, man. It's good to see you. Oh, I always love talking to you. My mom's always asking, when are you going to have Matthew on again? I love oh. y'all's conversation. I was like, all right, well, we're going to have to get him back on. And then uh, it's my pleasure. I ran into your, uh, I guess it was you're your, your releasing lessons that you're, you're doing for your, your PhD. Yeah, it's, it's a master's program. It's a it's, master's of divinity. But yeah, yeah. As uh, as I go through the program, a lot of times the coursework I do will match up to be kind of a good thing for a podcast. So uh, yeah, I've just been putting them out. Yeah, no, I've enjoyed them. I, I actually listened. I listened to the first two of them. I think. Well, not the first two. I think it was the second and the third. Um, the one and the I listened to both of them like three times. <laughs> and, and the one about uh losing your dog that really touched me because last year well the year before last i lost my dog and that made last year really rough on me and then i got this guy last year and uh but the other dog had ridden with me in my truck for three years and so yeah. it was like a piece of me was gone and i oh, damn absolutely. near i damn near quit the podcast you know because i was just like i couldn't focus i was just so distraught over it and this one brought me some, you know, some 
uh, comfort in the process, but it was, it was a really tough process. And still my wife and I are always talking about, you know, pinky and you know, how goofy he was and how he had, we had to get two dogs to replace that one big personality that he had, you know, and this, that, and the other. Well, I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry about pinky. I'm glad you had your time with pinky though, you know, um, yeah. and it is, it's some like something like 70% of American households have pets. And we, as a society, still, for the most part, treat the loss of those animals as if it's just a piece of property, as, as if it's just, you know, as if it's just a, a piece of, uh, you know, a, a, maybe it's a, a well-cherished uh, antique you got passed down to you from your grandmother or something like that. But that's really the level of, as a society, over, you know, the last several decades, we have placed on our animals and on losing our animal companions. And, uh, and your story is no different than anybody else's. Everyone else goes through the same exact, you know, and it's, and it's, it doesn't end, you know, what happens is eventually those, that, that grief and that pain will transition to warm and fond memories. It takes a long time, but there's always still going to be a, a, a pang. There's always going to be a kick, right? Uh, you know, when you think about them, you miss them. Um, and it is, uh, my ex is going through this right, right now. Um, she's got a couple of dogs that we had together and one of them is, is, is reaching the end of her life. And so going through that whole process of, you know, taking, you know, cause that's another part of it too, that is so hard on people is that we are the ones responsible oftentimes for bringing about the end of life, right? It, it, many times we have to euthanize our animals. And so when you have this parent-child relationship with them, and already as human beings, we're not supposed to bury our, our children. That, that's why it's so difficult, right? But then to add into the mix, add in as well, the emotional component, the, 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 uh, the guilt, if you will, of, um, of being the one who uh, pulled the proverbial trigger, if you will, on, on your dog, your cat, your pig, your parakeet, wh whatever it is, your horse. Yeah, that, that makes it much more difficult. So yeah, I'm sure. Um, and it's just, that's why it's just so strange as a society, we've not embraced this more, um, this idea that we're losing our animals, what a toll it takes on us. But that's starting to change. You're starting to see a lot more uh, uh, organizations pop up. A lot, you know, People are, are becoming um, animal counselors or spiritual counselors who emphasize on animal bereavement. There's all kinds of things that are getting better, but it's still, you know, it still is very difficult. I think a lot of people feel very alone when they go through that process. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, it was, it was, uh, it was, it was a really strange, you know, I wouldn't, I don't know strange, but it was really like, kind of like out of the blue. It's funny because he used to, he would dance with my wife. We would turn music on and he would get up on his hind legs and dance with her. And so all the night before we we're up like till two 30 in the morning, drinking They're they're dancing together and having a good time. And the next morning, like every other Sunday morning, I let him out. We have a sliding glass door in our bedroom. I let him out and I laid back down. I was like, he'll come get me in 15 minutes. Like he always does because sure. he wants me to go get him some treats and I'll get my coffee. And he never came back and got me. And it was uh -huh. like two hours later, I woke up and I was like, where the hell is my dog? You know, but it, I feel like that is a, a good 
kind of transition into why why I got you here because you were your other episode that I listened to so many times was about you know um moral injury you know and PTSD um and being thanked for your service and this guy's just going to chew on me until he oh I love gets it tired and, you know, of it the people people who are listening to this podcast can't see but Tommy's dog Boogie is just all over him, all over his belly. Oh, it's great. I, I'm just, I've got a big smile on my face watching this happen on the Zoom screen across from me. <laughs> this, this happens every episode, and I'm always trying to like, okay, let me like just keep focused, and it's, it never works. <laughs> but so, so, uh, what was I? Oh yeah, so you were talking about moral injury, and uh, especially you know how how veterans feel when they're being thanked for their service and i know one part of the rehab is uh is the adoption of dogs and 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 pets you know for that to cure that isolationism i guess and, and to give you that companionship even when you feel like you should be alone and feel like you should be isolated so can you talk to us a little bit about how animals have helped you in your in your process yeah you know the, the dogs especially but people people find comfort and companionship in all types of animals but i'll, I'll speak to the dogs specifically because that's what i know best and that's you know i've had i don't know how many dogs in my life 10 11 12 i don't know i have to count them i guess but um you know i i think when, when you're dealing with that moral injury you're dealing with the ptsd maybe you're dealing with traumatic brain injury you're dealing with some other types of of of, of issues uh, uh disabilities um you know the dogs have very practical uses uh the dogs can help in a lot of ways uh, many people know these, these dogs can be highly trained they can help with seizures they can do things um if if you are having a nightmare right the dog can recognize the nightmare and wake you up uh, if you have uh, mobility issues, the dog, of course, can help with your mobility. For people who are dealing with uh, anxiety, the dog often provides that comfort, that that blanket-like quality, right? That helps people get through their anxiety. Uh, people, guys and, and gals that tend to isolate, uh, the dogs can help get them out into crowds. The dogs can help get them out into stores. The dogs can help get them places. Um, you know, so the dogs function in a lot of ways uh, for specific therapy reasons. And there are, again, as many different types of, of issues or problems you can identify, there's probably a dog that's been trained to assist with that type of problem. Um, the dogs do a lot of other things, though, too. One of the things you have when, you, when you're dealing with these things coming home from war, um, you know, to kind of uh, uh, oversimplify it, uh, you go from with PTSD uh, you go from working in your primate brain, you know, if you understand our brains evolved uh, as, uh, you know, reptilian to kind of mammalian to uh, a primate type brain, right, with, with greater functioning. When you're in PTSD, when you're constantly in that, when you have PTSD and you're constantly in that survival mode, you're, you're basically in that reptilian brain. And with that, you, you have problems trusting, you have problems with intimacy, you have problems with your emotions, you have problems just being with people um, because you're always on guard, right? You're always hypervigilant, you're always hyper aware. And that doesn't just mean you get startled by loud noises or you're always checking your door at night to make sure it's locked. That filters into 
uh, your relationships, uh, whether it be with, uh, you know, a significant other, uh, whether it be with family, friends, coworkers, classmates, what have you. And what the dog does is the dog is your entry level into getting that trust back in relationships, right? Your dog is that is that beginning step again for you to begin in love and trust again. You've got somebody who is, is, is and this is why it's important for you to find people to find the right dog. If you have a dog that's um, going to be more difficult, the dog that's going to cause problems, a dog that's not well-trained, it can cause issues for the veteran or could cause issues for anybody who's looking for a dog to, to provide that kind of support. So that's why you got to have the right dog. And, and a lot of times the dogs do need to be trained to a degree. Some dogs don't, you know, I mean, it's a matter of matching up the right dog with the right person. Um, but what you find though, is that, like I said, it starts that process of allowing somebody to trust again, allowing someone to uh, uh, confide in 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 an in emotional manner, right? Be close with, uh, rely upon, be responsible for. So you, you see that with the dogs. And then the other thing too is the dogs. Uh, you know, the dogs provide so many benefits for those of us who are rock bottom where you're not even showering anymore. You know, you're, you're just, you're, you're, you're slowly killing yourself. You're just, you're just waiting for the moment to come when you put the gun in your mouth. What a dog does is a dog, uh, gives you a regimen, right? A dog gives you a schedule. Like you said, uh, pinky would wake you up and then you'd lay there, you know, he'd come back 15 minutes later and then you'd be up and you get your coffee. Right. And, and you've got to take the dog out. You got to take the dog for walks, you know, like, so it helps for, for guys and gals that are really struggling. And this is what happens with PTSD and brain injury and, and moral injury. When you've been devastated with those things, you're, you're the way you're living is, is really, um, it bottoms out. And so a dog can help you rebuild that as well. Uh, you know, and then finally, the other thing I'll say about the dogs too, why with, with particularly for veterans is a lot of us do have experience with dogs overseas. Um, you'll see the dogs around the dog, you know, the dogs will come out and the, the, they, they, some of them are, are, are meant to find um, bombs. Others are meant to attack, but, you know, typically with American forces, whenever uh, the dogs come out and they're with them, it's a huge morale boost. Uh, the guys love seeing the dogs. The guys love petting the dogs. The love guys love saying hello to the dogs. It always brings, I mean, my second time in Iraq, I was with the dogs a lot. Uh, we worked with them quite a bit and we had three in our regiment and anywhere we went with those dogs, um, they just brought huge smiles to the Marines and the sailors and the soldiers faces. They just did. So it, 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 it's a way for, um, I think for veterans to safely connect with the experiences of war in a positive manner because they remember those warm feelings of being with the dogs. And so it's a way for, to then, because that's one of the problems when you're dealing with, uh, when you're struggling with the memories of the war is, you know, trying to get to a point when you, where, you can, where you can interrogate those memories, where you can deal with those memories, where you can look at those memories again, right? And, 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 and not be traumatized, not fine, you know, not be, be horrified by it all, but get to a point where you're able to manage those memories and live peaceably with them. Doesn't mean you're going to forget them. 
right? You know, but it, it means that you can live peaceably with those memories. And to do that, I think a lot of times you need to have an entryway into something. Okay, what was a good and pleasant thing? What brought you joy while you were there? And for a lot of guys, there wasn't a lot of that. Or, or the tragedy, the horror of it, the, 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 how awful it was overweighs any joy. So maybe the dogs do that. So there's a lot to this that, uh, uh, you know, is, is really uh, beneficial uh, uh, to veterans, as well as to, you know, again, 70% of Americans own a pet. Yeah, well, one of the things you had also said uh, in your presentation was that you have to learn again that you're that you're worthy of being loved. Yes. And I think a dog, because the way the, the unconditional love that a pet brings you is is very important to that process because they're not judging you for the for the things you've done. They don't have that that, you know, moral relativism or the, the moral compass to judge you upon they're just judging you based upon how you treat them and how you are around them so i think that's an extremely important thing was learning that that's a very easy way don't unplug that please <laughs> <laughs> that's a very easy way to uh learn that you are worthy of being loved again Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Particularly those of us dealing with that moral injury, right? And for those of you who, who aren't familiar with moral injury, moral injury is, is, is a, a clinical term, I guess, for guilt, shame, regret. This goes back forever, as long as, as, as written human history goes back. You know, the Greeks talk about it, the Romans talk about it, Shakespeare writes about it. Uh, you know, think about, uh, think about Lady Macbeth, right? And the blood on her hands and the whole out, out damn spot, right? Think back to freshman, sophomore year in high school and how she's haunted by that murder and she can't get over it, right? Uh, that's what moral injury is. You've done something that transgresses your morality. Uh, very simple. It, it, you could also be betrayed. There's other aspects of it. So you could be, say, uh, you are raped in the military by a superior. That form of betrayal is a moral injury. Or say you get sent to war, right? Uh, and you find that the war is based on lies. That's a form of moral injury. But a lot of times what, what the moral injury is, is, is what you've personally have done or not done. So there's this whole process of trying to forgive yourself, which is very diff difficult, incredibly difficult. Um, and yes, absolutely. The dogs uh, or, or other companion animals um, can help you begin to love yourself again, uh, which is a very difficult process. And, you know, as well as too, and it, it, and it applies to all, all types of people. I, I focus on veterans, right? Because that's, that's what I know. And that's what I do. But th this can go for really anybody. So uh, excuse me for being veteran specific. But um, yeah, that, that process, one of the things for men of course, right, is we grow up in this, this society, this culture, we're supposed to be tough, we're not supposed to be weak. The idea of self love is pretty much anathema to growing up as a young man in this country, it's just not something that we take on. Um, and then if you're you go into the military, uh, you are conditioned to be a team player to take care of others, you are not to be a burden to others, you are to take care of them, um, you're not to be weak. And so when you're dealing them with these, with, with moral injury, PTSD, TBI, whatever the, the issues are, it's why it's so hard for men in particular to get help. Um, and part of that is just that whole concept of self-love and self-compassion. I remember when I first started doing therapy and stuff and doing meditation and the idea of, of self-compassion, I mean, Tommy, it would have been easier for me to walk through a wall than to practice self-compassion. It, it really was. That's where I was at. And um, it's, it's really important. And it doesn't make you weaker. It doesn't make you effeminate. 
you know, if anything, what the studies show is if you have self-compassion, you actually can accomplish a lot more. You're going to be a much tougher dude if you have self-compassion and you're taking care of yourself than some guy who's neglecting his emotions, his mental well-being, his overall wellness, you know, so it's the smart thing to do as well. Uh, but certainly, yeah, the, the dogs and, and other companion animals, that's a real good entryway into learning how to, uh, one, forgive yourself and then to love yourself again, if that's something you're struggling with. Yeah. And that, that's, that was the first thing I thought of whenever you, whenever you brought up that point in your presentation was, I was like, Oh, I was like, maybe that's why the dogs help, you know, um, the veterans so much. I, I didn't even think about, you know, the exposure to dogs overseas and, and, you know, the working with them and all that. We never, uh, let's get into the, you were, you were talking about 49 something like 49 percent of vets that have served overseas um feel shame or guilt or just don't like being thanked for their service so can you get into get into that part of the presentation a little bit yeah we, we we've had there's been studies uh that have been done uh, uh, uh surveys uh right polls that have been done that show about half of half of uh the post 9 11 veterans um, so none of those men and women haven't gone overseas to the wars. About half of them don't like the idea of being thanked for your service. Um, that also goes hand in hand with the about 70% of veterans, post 9-11 veterans, again, who feel that the Iraq and Afghan wars were a mistake. You know, so a higher percentage of, of veterans than uh, people who did not serve in the military feel that these 21st century wars have been a mistake, uh, not worth it, however you want to describe it. Um, and I, I think the, the closer I feel that you've been to the killing, um, the more you've, I, I, I think, I really do believe that the greater participation in killing, um, the more the likelihood is that you're going to say, please don't thank me for my service, that it's going to be very uncomfortable, um, that it is going to be something that is going to make uh, people squirm with their conscience. Um, that's not to denigrate people who didn't see combat or whatever. Hey, we, we all we all do what we, we what, what fit where we're, we're, you know, opportunity and fate and circumstance and luck and everything else put us. But uh, that that is kind of my understanding anecdotally, but we also see it too in a lot of studies that have been done, um, looking at the relationship between guilt, combat, and suicide. And, and we see in studies going back to 1991 that there is a clear uh, association correlation between uh, combat, guilt, and suicide. You know, 1991, the first study I'm aware of, the VA finds that the best predictor of, of suicide and combat veterans is combat related guilt. And, you know, study after study have more has more or less supported that. Uh, so that's one of these things that add into it is that, you know, people, guys are getting constantly thanked for a service. Uh, they're, they're being told you're a hero. They're going to a, a hockey game or a baseball game and they're being asked to stand up and be recognized and the crowd applauds and everything. And, you know, they, they've got on their mind that what I did over there was wrong. You know, they may think they may think themselves a murderer. They may they may be um, agonizing over something they didn't do, what they saw. Uh, so 
that dissonance that then occurs, right, Tommy, that dissonance that between what's in your head saying like, oh, my God, I've, I've, again, this moral injury, I betrayed my own moral foundations. And at the same time, society is just everywhere I turn, they're telling me I'm a hero. And I am the furthest thing from it. That dissidence causes real psychiatric difficulty, right? And then so if you know anything about it, right, the amygdala kicks in, it starts pushing out all kinds of chemicals to try and isolate you from that dissonance that develops depression, that develops anger. You know, there's all kinds of things that go into this. But this notion of always of just everyone running around and thanking you for your service, it, it causes, I think, uh, much more harm than it does good. And it's a in it on a macro level what it says about our nation, right? Where we have this uh, deification of the military, where is this, there is this quasi-religious uh, uh, veneration of the military. I don't even know if I should use quasi, pretty much as religious, where, you know, military officers are, are treated as clerics and, and to thank you for your service is like a ritual obligation. You know, I, I feel that, that if, I've had people say to me, oh, I'm sorry, apologize for not thanking me for my service. As if like, you know, if you're Catholic, you know, you, you go and you make the sign of the cross and you kind of give a little bow before you enter the pew, as if you forgot to do that when you're going to mass. That's what I feel it's like. And so you do see that a lot. And so, yeah, the, 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 you know, the numbers uh, uh, show that a, a lot of men and women, um, according to the most recent poll I know of was a couple of years ago, half of those surveyed said they don't like being thanked. And again, uh, we're talking about 70% of, of, of uh, post 9-11 veterans think these wars were a mistake. So, you know, there's another part of it too, not to, not to completely make it negative. A lot of men and women who join the military um, do it because they wanted to be of service. They, they felt it was a calling. They felt it was something that they could do. So they didn't join it to be thanked for their service. They want to be part of something bigger than themselves. So it's just awkward for them uh, to be thanked for something that they wanted to do. Uh, and so that, that's a part of it too. So it's not strictly negative. A lot of it, I think, goes to show the quality of the character of the people who do join. And that's what makes these wars, right, even more horrific is that we're taking some really great people. Um, we could, you know, conditioning them through, you know, scientific methods that have been developed over decades to become killers and sending them halfway across the, the planet to kill people and then just sending them home and not really addressing any of that, right? And you think about these, these young men and women who are signing up because they believe what they're doing is right. Imagine if we, we, they signed up for something that didn't involve killing them, right? What they could accomplish. You know, it, it's all very tragic. Yeah. It, well, and one of, one of the points you had made in, was that you had uh, talked to um, your psychiatrist and they had asked you if you would feel better if you were to spend some time in prison. And I thought that was really revealing as to just you know, you, you always describe war as organized murder. And then uh, just your awareness as to what you what you had done or been involved in over there. And the way that it was weighing on your conscious, you, you felt like you should be punished in some way, shape or form. That's correct. Because I that was, you know, that was what would have been fair, right? That's what would have been just. Um, and, but no, I, 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 uh, you know, hey, uh, the, the benefits of being a veteran in this society are great. You know, I, I just I just uh, purchased a house and I have to buy all kinds of appliances. Right. So I get my 10 percent off at Lowe's. 
You know, I go to a movie theater, I pay a different price than somebody who's not a veteran. I have all kinds of tax advantages because I'm a disabled veteran. There are all kinds of things that, um, you know, the benefit of it is, is quite good, but, but, you know, what you what you would prefer is some recognition of what occurred and some justice. And, um, and I say that for myself, I don't think the average man or woman who went over there should be locked up. I mean, I think that's just my own personal view of it towards myself. Um, what I, I do, of course, think that the, the generals and the politicians, I, I think they should be held accountable. And I think certainly if they were of a different nation and they did what they did, um, they would be at the war crimes tribunal. And, um, you know, it, 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 we, 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 hung, we hung Nazis for this type of thing, yeah. right? For invading countries, destroying countries, basically mm -hmm. starting a genocide, you know, I mean, all kinds of things. And yeah, it, it, this is... Uh, um, the fact that rather than that, rather than have being held accountable, those it's almost all men in terms of the generals and the admirals. Um, and then, of course, there are female politicians who prospered as well. Um, no, they're on they're on boards of, of 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 corporations. They are they teach at universities, right? They are hosted on CNN. Yeah, it's um, it, it's quite it's quite disgusting uh, the way it works. Well, yeah, and if you are. If you're part of the establishment, if you're part of that, that the bigger foreign policy, you know, um, focus of, of the United States, then you absolutely get rewarded. You, you don't have to look any further than than Clapper, you know, lying in yeah. front of Congress and then yeah. getting getting a job at CNN. Yeah. Never, never was brought up and questioned about it or you know, faced any charges or anything like that. But then you look at, you know, a Mike Flynn who faces charges because he goes against the establishment. He's the one, you know, he was, he was speaking out about the Obama administration funding ISIS and this, that, and the other. So, so there's this whole double standard there. It almost creates, you know, the, well, it doesn't almost it creates the incentive to go along to get along to just be part of the war machine and then you have a situation maybe not the government may not be quite as totalitarian quite as authoritarian as the nazis were but the incentive structure is the exact same as to where they're incentivizing people to just be to just follow orders right and this goes this this flows down all the way from the top Pentagon officials, all the way down to the local police force. Uh, and yeah. so it creates this really perverse incentive structure, you know, within society, which I think is a lot of the ails of the society that we see it is just the way that the United States conducts itself domestically and abroad. Oh, absolutely. Tommy, gosh, you're, you're so right in all this, you know, um, there's so much to that. Uh, one, there's the golden handcuffs, right? Where the, the system works so that once you get to a point where you've been within the government, the military, for whatever, the, the financial difficulties you're gonna endure if you leave are tremendous, right? So you, I, heard, I hear, I still hear this all the time, man, I wish I could have done what you did when you resigned and, you know, but I got two kids that are heading off to college soon. 
I mean, you hear that all the time. You hear, um, you know, if I don't do it, then somebody else is going to do it, which is true. There's no shortage of people who are going to step into these roles, right? I saw the, uh, you know, you talk about law enforcement. I, I, I saw an advertisement on, on, on uh, LinkedIn for Customs and Borders uh, enforcement position. I, I, I don't know how those things work. I don't know why they're targeting me for a customs and borders, right? I mean, but, uh, but you know, they, you can see all the responses and literally thousands of people saying, oh, you know, wanting to do that job. Uh, you know, it, it just, there are always going to be people who are going to fill those jobs. And then, like you said, the, the, the abdica abdication of responsibility because of the pyramid, that exists, right? Because of the hierarchical nature of this and that it's a, a illegitimate hierarchy in a lot of ways, right? I mean, it's not a democratically appointed hierarchy. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a appointed from the top down, any of these types of organizations. So there's always someone above you that you can say, well, it's, it's, it's above my pay grade, right? It, it, it's, it's not my decision. Uh, you know, and that goes, you know, you can rise the ranks of being a police department. There's still a, uh, there's still a, a city council. There's still a mayor. There's still, right. I mean, there's always someone above you that you can push that type of responsibility onto and abdicate that, you know, absolve yourself of the responsibility, you know, why, you know, wash your hands a la Pontius Pilate, right? I mean, so it is, it, it, and I think you're absolutely right. The fact that there is no accountability uh, in this country. Uh, you look along the lines. Look, look at Obama comes into office. I mean, you have these 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 bankers that devastated uh, the nation, right? The world. You have a, a, a Bush administration that launched these illegal wars. Uh, you know, tortured people. Look at Guantanamo Bay, um, and nothing is done. You know, and the same thing too. the Trump administration, the same thing occurs by administration. Guantanamo Bay is still open. There are uh, what is it? There are nine people in Guantanamo Bay who have been cleared to leave. One of them has been cleared to leave for over 10 years now. There are about 25 who've never been charged with anything. And then there's a handful, like 10, who actually do have charges against them. But these are you've got you've got you've had over 800 innocent men be put into Guantanamo Bay, tortured, held indefinitely without, I mean, like, and it just goes on and no one is ever held accountable for it, right? The only person who actually has been ever been held accountable for any aspect of the torture program was John Kiriako. And that's because he confirmed it and spoke about it, right? I mean, other than that, it, it, it so it is. I, you know, I mean, and of course, that's kind of an extreme example, but certainly, yeah, I, I think on all levels of society, there's a lack of accountability, a lack of, of, of a personal institutional accountability that can be readily sloughed off because, hey, you know, there's someone above me. It, you know, in the hierarchy, I answer to someone. So it is. It's it's very akin to. Um, you know, any of these other, uh, uh, you know, any historical example you want to bring up where atrocity has occurred and people have been just, you know, pointed to the person above them. Yeah, for sure. And I just think, I, I just think that's a, that's a point that can't be overstated because, you know, people like you, honest, honest men and women go into the military thinking that they are, you know, protecting freedoms and, and, and serving the country for the betterment of society, for the, for, for the average individual. And then they find out as Smedley Butler had, you know, pointed out in his great book, war is a racket. 
And yeah. they come to that conclusion the hard way and they're, they're completely devastated. I think our last statistics I saw, um, I think last year when we spoke, it was 22 veteran suicides a day. And I think the last statistics I saw, it's up to 25 now. It's uh, well, it, it depends upon the demographic. You know, you got to really look at the demographics. You got to look at the ages, the overall number for both active duty service members and veterans who who are, are killed by suicide each year is 20 per day. But that is I, I think we're, we're, you're, you're number 25 is if you um, adjust that for the veteran population previously. Oh. So one of the things that we've seen over these last 20, 30 years, right? When we had 15 million men and women in uniform during World War II, those folks are dying off. Mm. So that's how you can go from having 22 veteran suicides a day or 22 veteran and, and, and soldier suicides a day down to 20, but actually we're seeing an increase because the overall veteran population has dropped because a lot of these old timers have, have passed away. Right. So it is, it, it, it's it, these numbers can, um, like statistics, right? There are lies, damn lies, and statistics, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so, right? You I mean anything you got to look at, but but certainly the the, the suicide numbers, uh, how it tends to work is is you see a high rate of suicide among the youngest veterans, and then it tends to plateau. Um, and then when these when when they reach their fifties and sixties and seventies, it tends to accelerate again. So right now we see a, a suicide rate among Iraq and Afghan veterans about two a day, which when you multiply that times 365, uh, all but only two or three years did we have more more debt more killed in action in Iraq that, than that number. And of course, as, as everyone knows, right, suicides are often undercounted. If a person ODs, if a person crashes his car uh, into a bridge abutment, whatever, you may not know. I just had a sailor uh, of mine, one of my corpsmen, uh, he OD'd back in January. Uh, you know, officially that's not a suicide, but if you talk to people who were close to him, um, it was a suicide, right? So you have these numbers, um, you see it among the, the combat arms, among the infantry, the rates of suicide go as high as 14 times what their peers are. So young men in, and young men who were in infantry units in Afghanistan or Iraq, they come home and they have a 14 time greater chance of suicide than do young men their same age, right? I mean, so it's just really astounding. And then of course you see people think that this gets better over time. It doesn't. World War II veterans are still killing themselves at levels way higher than their peers are. The uh, last study I know of that really zeroed in on World War II veterans was in 2010 uh, out in California. And they found that World War II veterans were killing themselves at a rate four times higher than their civilian peers. Right. I mean, so it's just, it's just absolutely. And that was the good war. Yeah. Right. Free, yeah. right? That was the good war. Uh, you know, so it just goes to show <laughs> when you say, when I say something and I, I've gotten this from other people, wars organize murder, you know, that that's what a lot of people do believe. They believe it's yeah. organized murder. Those of us who've taken part in it. Yeah, no. And I, you, you know, it makes me wonder um, when, when you're talking about the, the demographics uh, of suicide in that, World War II veterans are now killing themselves at such a high rate. You know, it, it almost makes you wonder that if you ever really get over, you know, the the moral injury that you suffer um, or or if it's maybe like with a with cognitive de decline in, in older age, it's more likely to affect you 
than than it does maybe in your the prime of your life or or something like that. I, that was that's uh yeah. I, I think one of the one of the one of the problems is these guys didn't have the resources that we have now. Yeah. You know, people think that they all came home from World War II and everything was great, and that's just one of the biggest myths you could ever come up with. These right. guys suffered. Uh, first of all, one in seven uh, men who saw combat in World War II were discharged for psychiatric reasons from the U.S. military. One in seven, right? Yeah. I mean, can you? I mean, like, and that is, and again, remember the diagnosis of PTSD. It doesn't become a, a, a recognized diagnosis until 1980. Were they still, were they, were they calling it shell shock in uh, World they War II? Call, yeah. Uh, yeah. Or was that uh, a Vietnam uh, thing? Uh, they, they, they had a number of different names for it, uh, but shell shock uh, was, was, was that period. George Carlin does a great bit on this. You know, George Carlin does it, a great bit on everything. Man. Yeah, He's but awesome. you know, if, if, if folks haven't heard it, Google, go on YouTube, look up George Carlin PTSD. He goes, you know, he, he goes to the whole how they, they changed the name, right? To, to, you know, it goes from shell shock to battle fatigue, right? To then PTSD and the whole way we desensitize our society to it by giving it this clinical term, right? right? Shell shock, it makes it sound, as Carlin says, it makes it sound like, holy shit, you don't want shell shock, right? That's... You know, I mean, sounds like what it is. So, uh, but no, they, but they had very little resources. Um, they had, uh, you know, and, and the society just didn't want to hear about it. Uh, and so they drank together. That's, 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 you know, one of the things with the American legions, the VFW halls, those kinds of things, these guys got together and drank there because they understood, you know, as a lot of people know, famously motorcycle, uh, groups started up because of, because of world war II combat veterans. Um, and what I've seen just in the last two, 10 years of doing my work, um, whenever I have a couple there, uh, and, uh, they are, uh, he was in world war II or, or Korea, uh, invariably our conversation goes along the lines of something that the only person who knew what he was dealing with was his wife, you know? And so the suffering that occurs and the stress that's put on a family, and you hear this from the children of world war II and Korea war veterans. What a, what a difficult time it was growing up in a house like that. Uh, it is, it's, um, you know, something that's always been around. It doesn't get better with age or with time. Um, it, it can be managed, it can be dealt with, but it's something that you always have to work on, work with. It's a lifelong chronic condition, this moral injury. Um, it, there it is. And, and you hear guys who uh, lost both legs, who suffered, you know, awful burns, you know, who went through all kinds of real physical uh, uh, trauma. And, and, and they will say, uh, you know, comparing the mental and emotional to the physical that, you know, losing the legs, having the burns, whatever, um, that was no problem compared to the physical, to the mental and to the emotional, you know, and, and I can certainly say that too, like the, the, the stuff I've been through, the, uh, the guilt has been the worst of it by far, by far. Yeah. 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 Well, and I know you had, I know you had talked in the presentation about being aware like when you, when you feel it coming back, like when, like yeah. being aware of your emotions and, and that shame and that guilt and, and it, you know, confronting it before it takes over, you know, completely. And yeah. do, do you find it to be easier for you to deal with since you're working with other veterans? 
it, I, I think what what the danger that happens is that you put off your own uh, wellness, right? You 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 you're working with other guys, you don't give yourself enough attention. You excuse yourself for not paying attention to yourself. You think that because what you're doing with those guys is somehow also helping you, um, that you, you tend to let your guard down. Uh, also too, there's a danger of taking on what they're going through, right? You, you're listening to them. you you take on what they're going through that, 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 uh, soaks in with you. You're, 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 it's on your shoulders, uh, and it affects you. Um, so yeah, no, I, I think it's, I, I think that's the case with anyone, you know, who's, who's helping other people. You've got to be real careful about what you're doing for yourself. Yeah. Um, I, didn't, I didn't know yeah. if the, uh, I didn't know if the, <clears throat> the, the seeing that there's other people that relate to what I have been through, if that, if that is kind of cathartic in a way. It is. It's very helpful because you don't feel alone. I mean, when I first started getting help for my stuff, uh, you know, in 2000, early 2012, um, one of the things that my, my girlfriend did at the time, I was living with her, uh, she basically got me to sit me down and watch some video testimonials that Wounded Warrior Project had put out. You know, and so you're watching these other, you know, men and women talk about things that you were going through, you know, so you, you see that and you're like, oh, man, that's what I'm going through. OK, um, this person, you know, let, let, let's keep watching and see what this person did about it, because you hear it over and over again from these testimonials and it starts to click in. OK, OK, you can either ignore it or you can recognize that you're going through something that's very real, very significant, very serious. And you can do something about it. You know, I mean, that, that's basically what it was for me, too, when, it, when I had to decide whether I was going to do, do anything. I remember being so bad off. I was on the ground, the floor of my living room. And uh, I remember thinking to myself, look, either either put a gun in your mouth today and get it and, and end it or do something about it. But you can't do this midway thing anymore. Right. So um, the uh, uh, seeing what other people are going through is very helpful because, and that's why I do this. Is that that's one of the reasons why I, um, you know, I, I talk about this. I, I speak out about it because other people help me, and other people still help me. Um, and you know, as well too. That I think a lot of people will say when you're in say group therapy and you hear someone else say something that is exactly how you feel all of a sudden you feel validated. All of a sudden you feel like you're in kinship with somebody. All of a sudden there's this relationship there that is just so helpful. You know, I mean, I would, I would go to these uh, group therapy things with these older Vietnam vets um, and we'd be completely different in every way other except that we were veterans and these guys would say something and it would just be like, wow, holy cow, that's exactly right. Um, yeah. So, so that type of thing is very, very helpful. Absolutely. Yeah. It, you know, it, it's just, it's, it, it, it I, I, I listen to you talk about it and I, I just, and even when I've heard you talk about it on, on Scott Horton's show and I just, all I can think of are the people that, that sent people like you into war to, to be totally devastated and have their lives completely flipped upside down just just profit off of it and that just drives me insane that's like to me that is like the the number one thing the, the number one reason i'm anti-war 
is because I watch these people profit off of the misery of others and do so joyfully. Oh yeah. And without, and without regret, without, without thought, without hesitation, every person that Joe Biden brought into his cabinet, uh, the, the defense department, state department, whatever, um, they've all profited from more. They've all been on boards of weapons companies. They've been in these strategic consultant firms that do the business for the weapons companies. I mean, they have uh, all profited from it as well as too. they pro I mean, other types of businesses, you know, a lot of these folks that came in, uh, both Jake Sullivan and Avril Haines uh, did a lot of work with data mining companies, right? The people that are going through all your information online and selling it to people, right? This invade, this surveillance, the, 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 the way they profit off of surveillance, right? right. Um, yeah, so they, they, it is, um, and there is little thought about it. There is, 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 is uh, any thought that is publicly given to the loss of life is, is always just some type of uh, uh, theatrical uh, genuflection for political purposes. Uh, you know, the, the way that they say, God bless America after everything. Well, they, they say like, a, you know, they're going to say something about, uh, you know, how the dignity of, and, and sanctity of life. And, uh, but they, it's just, it's just what they, it's just what the speechwriter wrote, you slip know? Uh, yeah. It's lip service. Exactly. So, you know, you, you do, you see that, um, uh, and, you know, take the case of Afghanistan, where uh, Joe Biden has said he's not going to honor the agreement that Donald Trump signed to have all U.S. troops out of Afghanistan by May 1st. Well, May 2nd, the Taliban is going to start killing Americans, which means on May 3rd or May 4th, some family is going to have some uh, army or Marine Corps officer or naval officer, Air Force officer, whatever, at their doorstep telling them their son or daughter is dead. And that doesn't affect any of these men or women. They, 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 they're so far removed from it. They couldn't care. They are, they, they, and they also too, the other thing about these men and women are they, they have, uh, I just said this to Scott the other day, they, uh, they have no philosophies. They have no uh, worldviews. They have no ideologies. Uh, they may loosely fall into some kind of economic camp. They may loosely fall into some form, uh, you know, idea of what they believe government should or should not do. But any of that, they'll jettison in a heartbeat if it, if it benefits them politically. What they are are politicians. And whatever benefits them in the short term is what they are going to do. Um, so, I, I, yeah. I would, I would kind of disagree with you. They, they do have a philosophy and the, they do have an ideology, but, it, but it's all about the, the worshiping of power. That's, yeah. that's okay. it. Yeah. They're just, yeah. they're interested yeah. in power and money and that's it. They, they don't, they don't care about human life. They don't care about the country. They don't care about, you know, Joe blow down the street. I mean, this was, I mean, this is kind of a little bit off topic, but this was obviously evident last year, whenever, you know, all these, all these States locked down due to COVID and, you know, trying to take the, you know, the the safe route or or however you want to see it i i didn't think it was a good idea to begin with but rather than but it, it, in the in the occurrence that it was a necessary move to shut to lock down these states and to shut down all these businesses what is what did the politicians do they took that they took that initiative they took that idea that um that opportunity to print out trillions and trillions of dollars and give it to multinational corporations while you're while you're living on peanuts and you're soaking up, you're you're eating away at your 
at your savings and your debts just rising. And then they're like, Oh, okay. We'll give you 1200 bucks. Oh, okay. <laughs> we'll give you $600, you know? And you're talking like not from in nine months, the, the American people got $1,800. Right. Yeah. And it's like, while you know, Amazon and IBM and all these other countries uh, companies are getting, you know, trillions of dollars pumped into their coffers. And then they come out, you know, a, a couple of days ago and they're talking about, you know, these, these passports, these vaccine passports run by IBM. And I'm looking at what you're talking about a while ago about the NSA and the data, data mining program. And I'm like, hell no, (laughs) I don't want to give you that kind of access. You know, it's already, it's already, it's, it's an open secret that the Atlantic council and the McChrystal group work with Facebook to, to mine your data and sell it to the CIA. Like, I don't want any more of that information out there. And these, you know, it, it, I think that's just a great point you bring up with the COVID about the way we handle these shutdowns, you know, no, no idea about supporting the businesses that we were telling to shut down, right. you know, no, nothing about, and there's no discussion about fundamentally changing how we handle our economy or how we handle our healthcare system. I mean, look at how much money they're going to give. I think this, this latest COVID bill had $50 billion for COBRA payments. Right. I mean, like just money going directly to the health insurance industry. And it was some small, I think it comes out to each of those COBRA payments is $47,000 for six months for each person. I mean, it's astounding how much money is just being pumped right into these massive uh, uh, corporations. Um, And the small businesses are the ones who are suffering, you know, no thought given to providing, you know, basically like, hey, you know, that'd be my solution. We're going to tell you you have to close. Mm-hmm. So what did you make last year in your taxes? Okay, that's what we're going to give you plus 3% or whatever for inflation. Right. I mean, like, no thought about that, right? I mean, no, no, no way of really helping people get through this, uh, except for the, the, the opportunity to help their friends. It's yeah. it, it really, and the fact that it, it's very disheartening that it allow, it's allowed to go on, right? It's allowed right. to, right, continue. Um, uh, it's these wars occur the same way the kids in cages occur the same way people are unemployed the same way regardless of which administration is in power right which which party is in power it is it's just uh and people act like it somehow matters you know of course there are some issues that define each party but when you look at it my God, what did what did you had 80 million people vote for Biden and 74 million people vote for Trump? What were they really voting for? What was the differences that were they wanted somebody who wasn't going to use Twitter, basically, I think is what it comes down to. You know? I mean, <laughs> it's what it seems like. <laughs> you know? I mean, like, but, but it's all it, I mean, it's all it's all a facade. It's all a charade when it comes to that stuff, because it's all about who is the establishment. And I had plenty of problems with Trump. You know, I mean, I'm I'm basically a market anarchist, you know, much like Scott is. It, so it's like I have I had plenty of issues with Trump. The one thing I can say that was good about Trump is he drove all the right people crazy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so he did. He did. I mean, that that's true. I, I've not. I, I grew up outside New York City, and I, I've known Donald Trump for a long time. Haven't liked him for a very long time. Right. Um, but yeah, no, I, I there are definitely. I would be okay with like putting all those people together on an island and just let them drive each other crazy type right. of deal yeah, yes I mean, was, yeah. yeah and some of some of his points again i'm not I'm very much anti-donald trump however there were critiques he made of the overall system mm. particularly when he was campaigning 
when he was talking um, about the Iraq war, especially the Iraq war or just the whole the way the whole system works that he is correct upon. And, and the mm-hmm. fact that he, he characterized Washington, D.C. as a swamp is absolutely true. Now, he just he just kept the same people in there or brought people back from the past. I mean, he didn't do much oh. to change that. But, you know, his his characterization of it was correct. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, he he diagnosed the problem perfectly. You know, it's kind of like it's kind of like karl marx he diagnosed the problem but his solution sucked (laughs) you know so it's just one of those deals but so yeah but but we look at how how all this goes and 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 just it's just the same cronyism the same corruption you know the same corporatism and though you and i you know come from different economic standpoints and different economic backgrounds we can look at it we both looking at the same thing going yeah, this is all a bunch of shit, man. Yeah. And they, and, yeah. and it's the same people. And this is, this is, this is this a real problem are all these people that so many people are, are so willing to, you know, give all this power to 81 million people voting for Joe Biden, willing to give him all this power. And like you said, it's the same cages. I had my buddy on the other day um, talking about the border crisis. He was a, uh, he's a former uh, border patrol agent and he had, he actually quit, you know, as a conscientious objector. He, objector. He was just like, I can't do this anymore. I, I, I can't do this job. I just, it doesn't feel right. It's against my morals. It's against my principles. So he quit. But he, he was telling me, he's like, yeah, it looks exactly the same as it did in 2012. He's like, there's nothing different. There's nothing different about it now than there was then. You know, it's all the same stuff. So they're just they're continuously just pumping the same money and these are the people we keep giving people keep giving them power and they continue to to decimate not only foreign countries but the domestic population at the same time and people wonder why there's such a divide and why there's such turmoil in the country you know and and where we see the change occurring in this country comes on the local level Right. You know, um, you, you say, say uh, the revision of our drug laws. Right. New York State just legalized recreational marijuana and is going to expunge the records of those who had it and everything. Um, you know, more and more states, including conservative red states, are uh, doing those kinds of things. Um, you're not seeing that come down from the top. And that's right. why even, you know, even though I'm on the left of things, I'm, I'm a libertarian socialist. You know, I, I believe things from come, go from the ground up, you know, I, I worker control type of thing. You know, I am, I, I am equally distrustful of big government and big corporations. Anything big, I just inherently don't like. Anything more than three people, maybe. I, I, <laughs> I start to get a bad feeling about maybe. I don't know. But, you know, I also, I also my own philosophy, believe that we can work together. We can, uh, you know, uh, have resources that we can pool. And that's the problem is that some of the things for our nation, uh, because of the disparity of wealth, because of the disparity of, of wealth among states, we need to have a federal system in order to make sure that the entire nation is able to, uh, you know, go back to the 1930s and, and the electrification of rural America. You know, you need to have, I believe, a, 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 a government that's going to, a federal government that's going to do something like that. However, you don't have that type of mentality, I believe, within. Um, any of the, the, the administrations of the last, I don't know, 50, 60 years at least that have 
had that willingness to do something for people if it's not going to benefit their friends, you know, right? So you don't see these massive projects. You know, why don't we have, as someone, you know, why hasn't one of the platforms of the Democratic Party been um, broadband Wi-Fi for everyone throughout the country, right? I mean, if you want to look at a program that would meet like the idea of government doing good, you know, of, of meeting a, a need for people, something that really helps people in their lives, right? I mean, if you don't have broadband uh, internet, broadband Wi-Fi, you're really being left behind. Yeah. Um, particularly now when your kids have to study from school at home and everything, right? You're really being left. So that's something that you would think that an organization like the Democratic Party would jump on because that totally supposedly fits their ethos and their platform. But of course they're not gonna do that because that's not gonna make money for their friends. Right. You know, it, it, it's things like that, that, yeah, exactly. So what did these 80 million people vote for with Joe Biden? Again, I, I, I think most of them, it's just because they, they know Biden's not gonna tweet dirty words or, or insult people. Although he's doing fine jobs in the Russians for you know no good reason, which no one, you know, you look back, I just listened to an interview that Scott Horton did with, with Jack Matlock, the ambassador to the Soviet Union, our last ambassador to the Soviet Union. Matlock brings it up like Reagan never insulted anybody. He never insulted anyone. You know, I mean, and, and here you got Biden, you know, so it really is. What did we, you know, what do, we, what do people expect? And then, of course, the lack of holding them accountable. You know, again, like what your buddy was describing and good for him and please pass on my gratefulness to him for listening to his conscious and, and, and leaving that. But the problem is somebody else is going to step like as we were talking about earlier, someone else is going to step right into that spot, you know, and all the people that four years ago were upset about kids in cages. I don't really see that coming across on my Facebook uh, thing anymore. I don't really see the demonstrations being planned and, uh, you know, not with the fervor that it was three or four years ago, the people who are really committed to it are of course, but you know, all the people who just wanted to blame Donald Trump for it. Yeah. It shows a real issue with our principles and our values on the left. It really does. Well, it's not just left. I mean, they, they do it on the right too. I mean, I, I, I'll watch it because I'm watching from the outside looking in and I'm watching both sides just like, I'm like, oh, y'all are, are all a bunch of idiots. Girl, yeah, like, I just you know it, it, it's almost like in 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 the in communist Russia, and I think this is why people like 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 to compare, make the communism comparison. But in communist Russia, they replaced um, religion with the state, right? They replaced sure. God yeah. with the state, and yeah. it really feels like the United States has done that, has made that transformation to where the state is the deity that is worshipped by at least the voting populace. And oh, yeah, and I think I think so. I think if you go back and look at the fervor that uh, that was surrounded the election this past year and hey, that's great. We got this level of turnout uh, in, in, in democracy. I, I believe in democracy. I believe, you know, I believe in democracy in the workplace, democracy in government, et cetera, et cetera. However, um, the fervor where as if it was going to be the solution mm -hmm. that this as I think this was the Eucharist, right, that was going to deliver the salvation was going and just pushing, you know, whatever you're pushing the button on the machine now, uh, uh, clicking the button, whatever you whatever type of machine you have or filling out the bubble on, on a piece of paper. Yeah, 
that that was it. Like, I, I think you're right. The, 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 that this was going to be some deus ex machina, right? This is some God, God God's going to come down and solve this mm-hmm. by voting. Right. Uh, oh, I think you're absolutely right, Tommy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you listen to some of the language that was used too. Um, they had, what was, I think the Washington monument, they had lights like shooting out over DC from the Washington monument. And one of the, one of the pundits is like, it's like Biden embracing the country. And it's like, what the hell are you talking about? You know, like you people are disgusting, you know, <laughs> it, but it was like you know, the only time they ever gave Donald Trump any credit was when he bombed Syria. Oh, you know, I know. It's just like that, this, uh, this, this yeah. worship of state power is, is, is disgusting to me. It's in, just, in, and particularly through violence, right? Yes. That that is the that is the form of state power is violence. So whether it be yeah, bombing people, whether it being cops shooting people, whether it being locking up what two and a half million people in this country who've got the biggest prison population on the planet by far. Right. right? I mean, any right? I mean that that type of thing. Um, yeah, not uh, yeah that 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 is what you worship. That is what is uh, uh, and there is there's a very real current of that. Um, and then I, I think that also is echoed through the partisanship too. That it then breaks down into the, that that blue versus red, the Democrat versus. I, I went to go look at a a, a house a, a, a few a, a couple months ago to purchase, and there's another man in there, and he felt the need to announce that he was a Republican with a capital R, right? It, in the middle of an open house, kind of like, but that's his religion. Mm-hmm. That is his identity, right? And right. so you get into these other issues too of personal identity, of 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 what this means. And then, of course, it, it's something I touched on, on on a podcast I recently put up. I don't know if you were able to hear about compassion or not, about what it means um, when we identify an enemy, what it means for us. Because by de- identifying an enemy, you are setting boundaries, you're, you're, you're setting uh, definitions. And by that, by that, you are then defining yourself, mm-hmm. right? So having a, a large D Democrat, large R Republican, and that's your identity. Well, yeah, then of course, anything that those 74 million people voted for, who voted for Trump, they're on the other side. They're completely opposite of me. They can't have anything good to say. They can't, you know, and by no means because, the, and be, by, by, excuse me, by all means, because they are on the other side of me, because they are Republicans, then that means anything that my team does, the Democrats do, is by definition different than the Republicans. So that is how people can, yeah, not care that Biden has kids in cages, when they were screaming bloody murder two years ago about Trump doing the same thing, because to them, it is an identity situation. And they, they're able to, to foster a dissonance between themselves and the other, the Republicans or, or against the Democrats. And so, yeah, it, it's um, uh, uh, this is a real issue. And then, of course, our media is structured in a way that uh, well, look at I mean, I'm sure you've seen this, Tommy, the the the. Uh, ratings loss that CNN has had since Donald Trump lost office. They're down something like 47% of their viewers or something like that. I think, it, I think it's every, I think it's every news station. Yeah. I, I think I, I, I will believe it. Yeah. yeah. I, I saw it was um, CNN was, was being talked about. And then Brian Stelter on CNN got all defensive. So he was writing about, I think one American news losing a bunch of their viewership. I think Fox has lost a bunch of their viewership and, you know, I think all of them are, are way down. I mean, Trump and I, I had said this whenever the election was coming around. I, I, I said, if Trump loses, 
we're going to see media go absolutely berserk because they were about they were on the downfall yes. prior to his election. And I mean, I think I read about this in The Intercept um, in, in 2015, and then Trump kind of resuscitated them and gave them like a second wind. But I think I don't think it's going to be long at all where, you know, podcasts like what I'm doing, what Scott's doing are going to be what mainstream is, where people are getting their information from. Oh, yeah, I hope so. I hope so. I mean, one of the things for me, of course, is that this is this is an issue with our education system, right? Our education system is not producing children or young adults who have been thought to think critically. Right. So right, it, that's part of the problem is that we have because uh, I would love to see that. I would love to see basically a, a, a media system that is localized where and of course, you're going to have your people out there doing the international journalism and stuff like that. But, you know, in terms of like a localized journalism that, you know, used to exist in this country, local newspapers, uh, then local radio stations, local television stations. But again, getting back to that, as opposed to what we have now, right, where 95 percent of the media in this country is owned by five corporations. And, and, and those five corporations are owned by the same five money management firms that own 95% of the S&P 500, right? I mean, so it all, when you start really start looking at this, the same banks own pretty much all of industry. So that's a quick and easy way to understand why the media is so often not uh, willing to report alternatively, not willing to talk about other establishment industries, um, you know, not willing to discuss the wars, you know, et cetera, et cetera, because the same banks that own uh, the media companies also own the weapons companies, also own the fossil fuel companies, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that would be a wonderful thing is if people uh, were able to find uh, good quality journalists, good quality thinkers uh, via podcasts like, yeah, yourself, Scott, you know, um, uh, and I. I, I think that would, you know, you have the danger, of course, of running into an echo chamber, but, you know, that's occurring anyway. And that's occurring with really shitty journalism, right? With, <laughs> that's occurring with MSNBC and Fox and CNN. You're getting really terrible journalism or the New York Times or the Washington Post. It used to be, I, I grew up, Tommy, like being a nerd about all this stuff. And when I was like 11 or 12 years old, the greatest thing for me was to get a copy of the New York Times. Mm -hmm. And now it's, it's like, yeah, they'll, they'll do some good work a lot of times. However, they've been bad on so many things. They've gotten so many things wrong. They've been, you know, one thing after another. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, it certainly can't be considered the newspaper record. And I don't think we'll ever have a newspaper of record ever again. And I think you're exactly right, man, that this idea that they are going to go berserk because their revenues are crashing. How are they going to get the clicks again? How are they going to get the likes again? How are they going to get people to watch their, um, yeah, it, it's, it's a real problem for them. And what that can mean for us as a society is, is really bad, right? Because because say they, they continue this, say they're just able to dominate. I, I don't know about you. Like I used to watch a lot of my news on YouTube a few years ago, watch like different shows on YouTube, you know, whatever, um, you know. Um, I still uh, I still get, watch Tim Pool. And okay, yeah, he, yeah. He I does, would watch like- He does some I pretty would, decent work. And Ford Fisher- puts up yeah, a lot oh, of live I know. videos. Ford, Ford's a great example. Ford, Ford does incredible work. 
and he's been basically kind of deplatformed by YouTube, mm -hmm. right? I mean, uh, other times, I, maybe now I watch, like, say, uh, I haven't watched in a while, but I, I'll, I'll watch like Crystal Ball and Zangar and Jetty on the Help mm -hmm. program, uh, yeah. you know. And um, what comes up a couple of years ago, you watched that, and there'd be somebody else of that level, that caliber, like that type of alternative independent media. Who, not that the Hill is independent, but like you get what I'm talking about. Like right. at least you've got two voices that are not not well liked by either the Republican or Democratic Party. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I would get a recommendation for somebody who was like them. Now what I find on my YouTube feed is that as soon as I'm finished watching Crystal and Sangar, uh, Sangar, all of what, what comes up is recommended for me, Tucker Carlson, Rachel Maddow, right? You know what I mean? So like you, you can see where these algorithms are being uh, controlled by establishment media, where in order to find a Tommy Soundins, you have to look for it very hard, right? right? It, it's not easy. Your, your, your show is not going to pop up unless people are specifically looking for your kind Usually of Usually not on YouTube. Yeah, 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 nothing yeah, on right. YouTube. I think yeah, I get like right. 15 views every episode on YouTube yeah. because I don't post video because I'm like, ah, whatever. I do all my stuff at the Institute and, you know, through my sub stack. But that but that's an issue, though, with like, say, like you're like you guys at the Libertarian Institute, which um, I'm sure you, you've had you've had issues with this whole algorithm thing where you've not been you're not showing up in the search results. You know, and I certainly know that's the case for the guys on the left, you know, whether it be places I write for like Counterpunch or Consortium News, uh, whether it be journalists like Max Blumenthal or Aaron Mate, you know, I mean, these are people who have been um, shunted out of the algorithm, uh, you know, so it's hard to find them. And now, I've, never read, yeah. I've never read Counterpunch, but I can vouch for the other ones. I mean, Consortium and uh, the Gray Zone, I, I really mm -hmm. appreciate their work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then you have things like you had Matt Taibbi, Glenn Greenwald. They do some good work too. They, yeah. And so now you're seeing a lot of those folks over on Substack. Yep. Um, and then you're having, you know, Matt Taibbi has been writing about this a lot about how establishment journalism wants to censor that. You have people like Brian Seltzer on CNN saying how dangerous Substack is. Right. You know, I mean, how it's right. I mean, like it, it, it's, it's absurd and it's so overt the reasons why they're saying it because they're afraid of their bottom line. And it's particularly hypocritical when, you know, you're talking about organizations that got so much wrong, whether it be about the wars, whether it be about the financial crises, whether it be about, you know, literally anything. The whole issue with Russia over the last several years, you know, every week, CNN or The New York Times or The Post, were, 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 they were they were putting out publishing things that were incorrect, that were, were, were lies. You know, again, I'm not a Donald Trump fan, far from it. Right. But the lies about him and Russia were obscene. Right. And, and this is something that occurs over and over again. Well, yeah, and it so came it back and it came back on the left, too. Like it, it, it didn't it didn't stop with Donald Trump. I mean, they then they started That's labeling exactly right. Tulsi Gabbard. You know, that's right. Puppet, you know, that's or right. Odd apologist. And this, I mean, and yeah. it was just like, yeah, anybody who stands up, like we were saying earlier, if you stand up against the establishment, like a Mike Flynn, or, you know, you're going to get, you're going to get hammered. Right. That's exactly right. And you see it really on the Democratic Party is much quicker to hammer the left than it is the Republicans. Yeah. I mean, you have, you have to look at, say, the Democratic Party platform. Um, and what you have is you have uh, a, a party that 
Um, and I shouldn't say the platform, but really it's policies, what it has chosen to do, uh, who Biden put into his uh, uh, government. You know, they decided during the election that they were going to go for uh, trying to swing a handful of, of Republicans uh, while alienating their entire left, while, you know, alienating like basically the Democratic Socialist left. You know, because they are because they are much more concerned with their corporate donors than they are with their people on the left. And I, I, I think maybe the I don't know the Republicans as well, but I have a feeling that you get that as well, too, with them, that they are much more concerned about keeping their 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 corporate backers happy than they are about what you know. And that's how the Tea Party came about. Right. right. You know, yeah. it's really. Yeah. 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 I just think that the uh, the subverse the subversive effort on on the right has been a little bit more successful than it has been on the on the left so yeah. so through through the the subversion of the republican party you did see the tea party pop up which was something i you know i kind of identified with back then and then uh you saw donald trump which i mean it, i don't know if you remember but i mean you had like um <laughs> national review putting out an entire episode you know uh it's entire one one month's magazine on national review every article was one writer just demolishing trump during the campaign i mean they were they did everything in their power to stop trump from from being the candidate in 2016 so you did see that on the right it was just trump was actually successful oh he was uh, incredibly successful right i mean how many people did he beat in the primary Right. And right. then he 17, he, I think it was something like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. And then he beat uh, uh, then he beat Hillary Clinton, mm -hmm. who, you know, I mean, who was uh, supposedly be, you know, a shoe in or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that, that's one thing. Uh, that's one thing Dave Smith always says. He says, if we have to, if there's anything good about Donald Trump is he took down the Bushes and the Clintons. That's like, true. If nothing else, like we have to thank him for that. <laughs> that is that is that is absolutely true in that sense, you know, and, and it's kind of like, you know, you saw the same on the left with Sanders. The, the, one of the, the things you, you're listening. I'm, I'm sorry. That's all right. We're getting close to dinner time. That's why, you know. Yeah, getting, I, I got to get off here in a second. Anyway, the, I got the panic is starting. But, you know, you hear some people on the left, uh, uh, you know, and I, I think Matt Taibbi talks about this. Uh, maybe it's Crystal Ball does as well. This idea that what really upset the Democratic Party about Sanders was that Sanders showed that he could run a campaign based on uh, $27 donations, mm -hmm. right? Sanders showed that the corporate backing is not necessary to do, and that scared the hell out of the Democrats, uh, mm -hmm. right? Scared the hell out of the DNC, the DCCC, the DSCC, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah, I mean, that is a, that's a very real thing. So you do, I mean, I, I think there is, you know, I think what you're getting to, we're getting to here is, is while, you know, Trump was a nightmare for many reasons. I, I mean, I'm a Sanders guy, but I can understand how people on the right would, would say Sanders would be a nightmare. I, I get that, you know, but the hope is, is that, okay, we've got, we've had some people do very well against this democratic Republican monolith. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and that's why a lot of us on the left were disappointed that Sanders didn't leave the Democratic Party. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, a lot of us were disappointed in that. But um, yeah, yeah, no, I, I really I really felt like, especially in 2016, when whenever he came out after everything that was done to him and he came out and he endorsed Hillary Clinton, I was like, man, you just slapped every one of your supporters in the face. I know. 
exactly. uh, I was like, that, that's just, I, I was actually shocked he got as much attention or as much momentum in 2020 because of the way he had acted at, at the end of that in 2016. I, I, and it showed, I think, a lot. It really showed when it came to Super Tuesday last year, you know, about a year ago, right? Um, where he just, that's where he lost it with Super Tuesday. And everyone was expecting him to continue that momentum. And I know, like in my case here in North Carolina, you know, after exactly what you just said, Tommy, about how he handled 2016. Yeah, you know, I, I might throw him a few dollars. I'm going to vote for him in the primary, you know, because we have an open primary here and, and everything. So I can vote, right. you know, I mean, um, but um, I'm not doing anything more than that. I'm not excited about it. Yeah, I'm not excited about it. I mean, because if he rolled over like that after 2016, that just shows the fact that he didn't like burn uh, the DNC headquarters of the ground when everything came about, uh, came out about how he had been basically screwed over, how he had been cheated out of an election. He just accepted it. And then again, the same thing too in 2020, just went along with it, endorses Biden. Yeah. And so, and here we are kids in yeah. cages, people being killed in the Middle East, right? As you said, uh, our economics different, different or different, but we both can agree that the, uh, putting $6 trillion into the stock and bond market or mm -hmm. however much has been is not good. <laughs> right. I mean, like, right. Yeah. The amount uh, of printing is not good. Either. It's not good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, 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 I've got, you know, I'd love to talk to you about more about that kind of stuff. So I do, I do believe in some of the modern ma money management theory stuff, but like it has to be done for a specific reason and a purpose other than making sure that certain people are getting, you know, a third beach home or whatever is happening right. out of this. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, I think that's, a good place to stop we will definitely do this again and we'll we'll, yeah. we'll get into some of these economic discussions and kind of the way we we view economics and i want to see if i can get this monkey off my back come back over <laughs> here dude come back over here my mixer's still plugged up <laughs> i uh hey man that, that's why i'm in an office chair if i try to do this on my couch or anything like that where they could get up forget it i'd be the same way he'd they be all on top of me yeah before i got this mixer and I, well before i started carrying the mixer with me in the truck i would do it up front in in the front seat and i would set my computer on the dashboard but i don't have enough room for the mixer and the computer and be able to reach all the plugs everywhere i need them to reach so I don't have yeah, a choice. Yeah. I can either put the mixer on the floor and have him jump on it every time he jumps out of his chair, <laughs> or I can come sit back here in the bed and I can let him waller on me. <laughs> so, all right, man, I'll let you get going. Hey, if you ever, uh, if you ever come through North Carolina, let me know. I absolutely will, man. I haven't been up there in a long time. Took you to your grave Your pride is how they killed you With the flag you wave just like a fool They promised you a mountain Gifted you a stone They demanded that you throw it Into your neighbor's home And then seize all that they worked for And give it to the throne just like a tool
seems to me humanity is not something that they're teaching us in school. They dumps down all around propaganda, their pollution. They set a cage up on the stage, a facade for a solution. They build a wall, block them all from this mental institution. It's insane. These crimes done in our names Seems to me authority and tyranny Are both one and the same Till our right to freedom is understood.